Let's turn together in the Holy Scriptures to the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 28. Matthew 28. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, There shall ye see him, lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him. And secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. We pay special attention this morning to verses 2 through 6 of the passage. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here. For he is risen as he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Mm-hmm. 
Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection of Christ were accompanied by great wonders which God sent in order to call attention to those events as exceedingly important moments in the history of the world. These great wonders that attended the death and resurrection of our Lord, God himself designed to symbolize that Christ has accomplished the victory over the old things of this fallen world of sin and death, and that he has accomplished the beginning of the new things and the powers of the world to come, that he has risen from the dead as the guarantee that God will bring forth those new things of the regeneration and resurrection of his church and the creation of a new heavens and a new earth. What were those great wonders that accompanied the death and resurrection of Christ? Well, we have to go back to the time when he was still on the cross. And we recall that when Jesus was still hanging on the cross, there were three hours of eerie darkness which covered the land. And in the midst of that darkness, and at the end of that darkness, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he cried out again and said, It is finished. And we are told from the gospel that after Jesus said those words, he gave up the ghost. And it was at that very moment that the veil in the temple ripped from top to bottom without any human hands doing so and opened up the way into the most holy place in the temple. Also, the earth shook at Calvary around the cross and the rocks rent in pieces and the graves of many of the saints were opened up so that those saints rose from the dead and came out of their graves and entered into the holy city and appeared unto many after the resurrection of Jesus. All of that happened on Good Friday, surrounding the death of Jesus. And then Jesus was buried in the grave, a new sepulcher of Joseph of Arimathea. And there he lay Friday night and Saturday and Sunday morning. And on the third day, We are told that there was another great earthquake when the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the sepulcher. What great wonders accompanied the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What was God teaching us through these wonders, these miracles, these momentous events? We're going to see this morning that through these wonders God is teaching us that the old things have passed away and all things have become new through Jesus Christ. God is teaching us that he has won the victory over sin and death and he has unleashed the powers of the world to come. And now in this last age of history, he is making all things new. So come, let us join the women on their way to the sepulcher early that morning, the first day, of the first week 
of this last age of history. Come, let us see the place where the Lord lay. We consider the wonders of his resurrection this morning. First of all, the earth-shaking event. Secondly, the heavenly messenger. And thirdly, the empty sepulcher. Matthew tells us in the passage that we read that as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary and some other women went out of the city of Jerusalem toward the sepulcher of Jesus. And as they were going, behold, there was a great earthquake. Now we must not imagine that there was just a minor tremor that the women felt in the ground that morning, the kind of tremor that might make you look up and say, what was that? Or, did you feel that? But we have to understand that Matthew is telling us there was a violent shaking of the ground under their feet. There was a great earthquake. It was unmistakable. Everybody knew that there was an earthquake happening right now. We do not get the impression from the text, though, that this was an ordinary earthquake. No doubt there were earthquakes that happened in that part of the world, as there are happening throughout the world. But this was not an ordinary earthquake, which shook the ground and damaged a few things and maybe even destroyed a few things and maybe even took the lives of some people. We don't read about any of that happening. This was an extraordinary earthquake. This was a special earthquake. This was an earthquake that carried with it certain significance and certain symbolism. This was a great earthquake, not simply because it was a violent shaking of the ground, but it was great in significance, great because of what it symbolized and signified. This earthquake was signaling to the whole world that something momentous had just happened behind the sealed door of the sepulcher of Jesus. Something tremendous in the history of the world and in the history of salvation had just happened inside that tomb. And that's why Matthew says, Behold! Matthew cries out to us with the pen through the pages of Scripture here. Behold! He cries out to you and to me and to all who will read this account. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. Now it's helpful for us this morning to understand that as we look through the scriptures, we find that there are earthquakes and that earthquakes are one of the many natural calamities that God sends upon the wicked as a just temporal judgment for their sins. But we also find that earthquakes are a unique event among those natural calamities. Earthquakes are unique. Earthquakes were uniquely designed by God to signify something to signify his shaking of this old world in order to remove it 
and to make way for the new world which cannot be shaken. That's the symbolism of an earthquake. And we find that in the Old Testament in Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, where God inspired the prophet to write, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. God said, I will shake the whole universe. And when I do that, the desire of all nations will come. That is, the Messiah will come. The Savior will come when I shake the universe. God fulfilled this prophecy when he shook the heavens and sent down from the heavens his own only begotten Son into human flesh who was conceived and born of the Virgin Mary and came into this world, the desire of all nations. God fulfilled this prophecy again when at the cross of Calvary, when his son died and gave up the ghost, God shook the ground there at Calvary so that the rocks rent and ripped in pieces. And God shook the world again when Jesus arose from the dead. There was a great earthquake a great shaking of the ground. And God was there signifying that he was shaking this old world to remove it and make way for the new world that will never be shaken. That's the glorious gospel symbolism we have to see in this earthquake of our text. God is shaking the old creation, the old world order, to bring forth the new world order. The apostle writes of that in Hebrews 12, verses 26 and 27, where he refers to that prophecy of Haggai. And he says this about the Lord's voice, that it shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. The earthquake on Calvary's hill on Good Friday after the death of Christ, and the earthquake at the tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ at the moment that he arose on Easter Sunday, signify to us what Jesus did by his death and resurrection. He has removed the old world order that began at the fall of man into sin. And he has ushered in, he has established in principle the new and eternal order which will come to full fruition in the new heavens and the new earth. That's what we have to see in the death and resurrection of Christ. One of the most, really the most momentous event in the history of the world. Just think what he did by his death. We have here God himself in the person of his son come down into the world, into human flesh, hanging on the cross, giving up his life, 
taking upon himself the sin of the world, the sins of God's people in all nations of the world throughout all of history and suffering for us the death that we deserved. And by that, he shook loose the power of sin and death. He shook loose the penalty of death, the sting of death, the victory of the grave. He shook loose by his death the curse that rested over the whole creation. And he swallowed up that curse in victory. He shook loose the chokehold of sin and the power of the devil over our lives so that sin can no longer have dominion over us. He shook loose the power and the horror of hell and everlasting damnation and everlasting destruction. Christ did all of that on the cross by his death. And that's why there was an earthquake to signify the shaking loose of the powers of sin and death and hell and the devil and the curse. And then he rose from the dead to signify that he has brought forth the powers of the world to come that cannot be shaken. When he arose from the dead, The Lord Jesus did not come back into this old, sinful, fallen world, but he passed through death and through the grave and came out the other side. He went through the grave as the victor, the conqueror over death and the grave, as the glorious King and Lord with immortality and life. He sprang free from the grave with the powers and rights to make all things new to establish a new world, a new creation. He sprung free from the grave to begin to make all things new already now in this present time. We live in the age in which all things become new. When the Lord sprang from the grave, he arose with the right and the power to make all things new in our lives beginning with the wonder of regeneration, to make us who were dead in trespasses and sins new creatures in Christ. The new creation is beginning in the hearts and lives of those who are engrafted into Christ. And he arose from the dead with the rights and the power to give us justification by faith, to impute to us his perfect righteousness, so that we who are guilty sinners could be made righteous in him, could receive everlasting life, which can never be shaken. He sprang free from the grave, also with the power to finish the good work that he would begin in our lives. He sprang free from the grave with the right and the power to glorify our souls after this life, to take our souls from our bodies when we die and to purge us of all indwelling sin and to raise us up from the corruption of our old man and to deliver us into the glories of heaven above. He sprang from the grave also with the power on the very last day to raise up our bodies from the dust of the grave so that our bodies which will one day go into the grave and dissolve and be eaten by worms He received the right and the power to bring together again with our souls 
and to raise up in immortality and eternal life and to make like unto his glorious body. But he also sprang free from the grave on that first day of the week with the power and the right to make all things new, to transform this old creation under the curse of corruption and death, which groans and travails in pain together until now, to make it a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. After Jesus arose from the dead, all things did not come, become perfectly new yet. He is beginning to make all things new, but he has not yet finished making all things new. That's why he told us that in this last age of history there will still be earthquakes in divers' places. We will hear of earthquakes. We might experience earthquakes. We might feel the shaking violently of the ground under our feet. And we will hear of it. We have just heard of another earthquake in the recent past in Turkey and Syria. A violent shaking of the ground beneath their feet, which brought destruction and death and misery to thousands and thousands of people. A judgment of God upon the wicked, but also a sign to God's people to give them hope that God is shaking this old world, this Creation is groaning and travailing in pain together with us because it is yearning to bring forth the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, where there will never be another earthquake, another calamity, another disaster, where there will be righteousness and life and peace and joy for all eternity. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ was the shaking of the old world to give us the hope that soon, when he comes again, which will also be accompanied, according to the book of Revelation, by one last great, tremendous earthquake that will shake the kingdom of Antichrist and bring it to its knees and destroy it. On the very last day of history, when he comes again, when the sun becomes black and the moon becomes like blood and the stars fall from heaven and the earth and the heavens and the seas all are shaken in one great final catastrophe, then Jesus will take us out of this old world and bring us into paradise, which will never be shaken, which will never be removed, which will continue forever and ever, where he will give us blessings, and joys which eye has never seen in this world and ear has never heard. That's the meaning of the wonder of the earthquake at the tomb of Jesus. And we are told that this earthquake took place because the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. There Matthew tells us a second wonder surrounding the resurrection of Christ for us to behold, the wonder 
of the angel. This too is a great wonder because angels do not just appear normally in this world. Angels did not even appear normally during the Bible times. Perhaps sometimes we think that angels were just appearing all of the time to God's people, but that's not true. We do read about the appearance of angels in Scripture on many different occasions, but they did not appear all the time. It was not ordinary for them to appear. And that's why when the people of God saw an angel on rare occasion, usually they were terrified and they had to be told, do not be afraid. We read of the appearance of angels in Scripture usually only when there was a a momentous occasion. For example, when Zacharias was in the temple offering incense, an angel appeared to him there to announce to him that he and his wife Elizabeth, who had never had a child, would bring forth a son, and they would call his name John, and John would be the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ who would prepare the way before him. Again, an angel appeared unto the Virgin Mary in Nazareth to announce to her that she, who was still a virgin, as a virgin, would conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit and bring forth a son, the son of David, the Messiah, who would reign over an everlasting kingdom. Again, an angel appeared to the shepherds outside the town of Bethlehem. And then a great chorus of angels appeared to those shepherds to announce that there in the town of Bethlehem, a Savior had been born, who was Christ the Lord. So angels appeared at very momentous occasions. And now again, we read that an angel appeared. An angel came down from heaven a bright, shining messenger of God from the heavenly heights appeared above the sepulcher of Jesus Christ and rolled back the stone and sat upon it. And we are not told the name of this particular angel. We are told that he is the angel of the Lord in the King James Version. But we could also translate the, or rather, an angel of the Lord. Because the point is not that this was the angel of the Lord, but that he was an angel from the Lord. He was a messenger from God, from heaven above. And this angel that hovers there above the tomb is a wonder for us to behold. The angel had just come down from heaven. The angel had been in heaven in that spiritual domain that we cannot see. That spiritual domain that is not far away in a physical sense, but only in a spiritual sense. The angel has leapt over that invisible, mysterious chasm between heaven above and earth beneath the heaven which is God's throne and the earth which is his footstool. In an instant, the angel traveled from heaven to the earth. It didn't take him 
millions of light years to travel here. But in an instant, he leapt over that chasm and suddenly appeared, shining with all the brightness of the glory of heaven. And that's how Matthew describes him to us. Shining with the brightness of heaven, his countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. His countenance is his face or his appearance. His appearance was like lightning. Lightning. Those bright, shining, magnificent strikes of electricity that usually appear during a storm, which fill our minds with wonder and amazement, but at the same time a certain sense of fear and terror. Because we know that if that lightning strikes us, it would kill us in an instant. And yet we're mesmerized by the beauty and the glory of that lightning, the brightness of the crack of electricity through the sky. And his countenance was like lightning, bright, shining, wondrous, and yet frightening. In Scripture, we find that lightning is often a symbol also of the judgment of God, just like earthquakes. That a lightning strike is a symbol of the arrows that God throws out against his enemies to defeat and destroy them. But in that very way of judging and destroying his enemies, God brings salvation to his people. So the lightning also symbolizes the salvation that God brings for his people. In the second place, we're told that the angel's raiment was white as snow. He was wearing some kind of spiritual heavenly clothing that could be seen, and that clothing was white, pure, unstained white, like freshly fallen snow, reflecting the beauty and the brightness of the sun on a clear winter day. Like the snow, the angel shimmered and shined, and that bright whiteness of his clothing pointed to the purity and holiness of God. This angel had just been standing in the presence of God in heaven, and God in all of his bright glory and beautiful holiness was shining upon that angel as he shines upon all the angels, so that now as the angel appears on the earth, he reflects the glory and the holiness of God himself. And this angel, as he comes down to the earth, causes the ground to shake violently. And he takes hold of that stone door that is sealed and blocking the entrance to the sepulcher of Jesus and powerfully rolls it aside and sits upon it. What a wonder is that angel. It was a wonder not only to the women, but also to the keepers of the sepulcher. We read in verse 4 that for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. On Saturday, the previous day, the leaders of the Jews had come to Pontius Pilate and they had asked for permission to seal the sepulcher of Jesus and to set guards to watch the sepulcher. 
And perhaps Pontius Pilate asked them why they thought that was necessary. Indeed, why would it be necessary to guard the sepulcher of a dead man? And they explained their reason was that they were afraid the disciples of Jesus might come at night, and if the stone was not sealed, they might easily roll it out of the way and snatch the body of Jesus and steal it, and then go around and tell everybody that Jesus had risen from the dead. And then the end would be worse than the beginning, they thought. So Pilate said, whatever you wish, go and seal the tomb and set guards if you like. And they did. Somehow they sealed that stone as a covering to the tomb so that it could not be easily moved out of the way. And that's why when the women came to the tomb, they were asking themselves, who is going to help us to roll away the stone from the tomb? They also set guards. We don't know how many. But they set guards to watch, to make sure that the disciples did not come by night to steal the body of the Lord. But now this angel appears descending from heaven in all of his glory and easily he moves the stone away breaking the seal and he sits on top of it and those guards stand there with their eyes bulging filled with terror so terrified that they fainted to the ground and became as dead men mind you these were full-grown men probably trained soldiers carrying with them their spears and their swords, ready for battle, ready to defend that tomb against any invaders. And yet, when this bright, shining messenger of heaven appears, they faint, terrified to the core of their hearts, and they become as dead men. But the angel sat calmly upon that stone, as the women approached the sepulcher. Now, if we look at the parallel accounts in Mark, Luke, and John, we can put together the pieces of the story and tell it in chronological order. And then we discover that this is what must have happened. When the women arrived, the angel had slipped from sitting on top of stone into the inside of the sepulcher. And at that point, a second angel had appeared with him. And the reason two angels appeared, according to scripture, is that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every message will be established as truthful and trustworthy. So two angels appear inside the sepulcher. And now the ladies come and they enter the sepulcher. And they look around, and suddenly they see those two angels. And one of them sitting on the right side of the sepulcher. And it was at that point that the angel, the first angel who came down from heaven, who was the primary messenger that day, spoke to the women. And this wondrous messenger from heaven then announced to them the gospel of what had happened behind the closed, sealed door of the sepulcher. He said to them in verse 5 of our text, Fear not ye, 
For I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. Fear not. That's the first message of the angel. What a blessed word that is. We hear that word many times throughout Scripture. We need to hear that word because we are so easily afraid. We are so quickly terrified. And the angel therefore says to us, and God says to us through the angel, don't be afraid. Yes, those soldiers had reason to be afraid because those soldiers were unbelievers. Those soldiers were wicked. They were enemies of Jesus Christ, as we will see in a moment by their subsequent actions. They had every reason to be afraid, indeed terrified, and to fall down and faint and become as dead men because they deserved to be dead men for their wickedness and unbelief. But you, dear daughters of God, be not afraid. You have no reason to fear because you are loved by the Lord. You are his precious chosen children whom he has chosen before the foundation of the world. He sent his son into the world for you and for all of his people to die on that cross, to pay for your sins, to give you salvation. Fear not, the angel said. I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He was crucified for you, for your sins. And then he proclaims the gospel of the resurrection. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. That was the good news. He is not here. They came that morning seeking the body of Jesus to perform one final act of love in anointing him and preparing his body more perfectly for the burial. But he was not there. That was the message. He's not here. And that's an even more blessed and wonderful thing than if you had found him here and had performed that act of love. He is not here. He is risen, as he said. The good news was that Jesus is the victor over the grave. The message is that he has defeated death. He has risen from the dead. He has gone through the grave. And now he has life for himself and for us. That message of the angel was absolutely sure. It was established in the mouth of two witnesses. And those two witnesses had come from heaven itself, from the presence of God himself. This was not their message. This was God's message. This was not their gospel, but God's gospel. Nobody saw what happened behind the door of the sepulcher that morning. But God knew, because God performed it when he raised up his son from the dead. And now God sends these angels to proclaim to the women and to us, he is not here, for he is risen, as he said. One final wonder, then. The angel said to the women, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. The tomb 
was empty. And that too was a great wonder attending the resurrection of our Savior. After this moment, when the guards woke up from their slumber and all was quiet again and there was no one around them, they went back into the city and they told the leaders of the Jews what had happened. That they had seen the angel, that he had rolled away the stone, that the tomb was empty. But rather than believing that Jesus had truly risen from the dead, the leaders of the Jews rejected that. And they gave a bribe to the soldiers. They gave money to the soldiers. And they persuaded them not to tell the truth of what they had seen that morning, but to lie and to say that in the night, while they were sleeping, the disciples came and stole the body. Now those soldiers knew the truth. But they loved filthy lucre, filthy money, more than the truth. And they accepted that money and told the lie, which Matthew says, is still commonly reported among the Jews to this day. And that lie is still commonly reported in the world today. But the disciples did not steal the body of the Lord. How could they have rolled the stone away when it was secure and sealed, and when there were armed soldiers standing watch? And besides, isn't it a ridiculous notion to say that the disciples stole the body and moved it somewhere else and hid it and then spent the rest of their lives preaching that Jesus rose from the dead and were even willing to be persecuted for that? Why would they do that? Why would they give their lives for the gospel of the death and resurrection of Christ? if it wasn't true. The only explanation of the empty sepulcher is that Jesus arose from the dead. The empty tomb is a wonder for us to behold. It's a wonder that is revealed on the pages of Scripture for anyone who reads the Scripture and anyone who hears the Gospel to behold. And it confronts the whole world yet today. The empty tomb. Where is the body of Jesus? It is not there. Why? Because he is risen. Why then did the angel roll the stone away? The angel did not roll the stone away to let Jesus out. Not even the angel rolled the stone away for that reason. Remember when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and Lazarus was alive inside the sepulcher behind the stone? They had to roll away the stone to let Lazarus out. But that was not why they rolled, why the angel rolled the stone away from Jesus' tomb. Yes, the rolling away of the stone is a symbolic action of God 
to show that God has made a way out for Jesus. But the way out of that tomb was not through the entrance. Jesus had walked through the backside of the tomb, right through the rock, in his glorious, heavenly, exalted body. Why then did the angel roll away the stone? He rolled it away not to let Jesus out, but to let the women in. He rolled it out to reveal the evidence, the wonder, the mystery of the empty tomb. And then to tell them the truth of that mystery. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. There must be witnesses. That was God's plan. There will be witnesses of the empty tomb. And they will go forth and share this gospel throughout the world. Do you see, beloved, the wonders of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Here we see the wondrous proof that he has indeed shaken the earth and the heaven and the sea and the dry land. That by that earthquake and that angel and that empty tomb, we can conclude that God once and for all has come into history and shaken this old, fallen, cursed world and shaken loose the powers of sin and death and Satan in the grave. And that by shaking those things which will soon pass away once and for all, he has established the things that will remain. He has established immortality and eternal life, righteousness, and a new creation that will never be shaken away. Jesus is coming. He's coming quickly. And when he comes, he will finish the making of all things new. What shall we do until that day? How shall we spend our lives until he comes for us? Until he makes the new heavens and the new earth? What shall we do until the end of the world? The angel said to the women, go quickly, verse 7, and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Go quickly and tell what you have seen. Tell what you have heard. Tell what you have come to know. And how does Matthew conclude his account of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ? With the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's what we are called to do. That's what the church is called to do. Go. Go quickly. Tell. Teach. Spread the word of what Christ has done in his death and resurrection. And do not be afraid. For lo, Christ says, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we give thanks to thee for the gospel and the wonders of the resurrection of Christ.
what a sweet sound it is to us to know and to hear that thou hast shaken this world through Christ and that thou art soon going to create the new world that will never be shaken. We pray for the coming of that great day and for the dawn of eternity. Come, Lord Jesus, in Jesus' name.